Welcome to Podcast Sound Advice, the place for up-to-date podcast tactics and trends. You'll find actionable strategies to help you grow your audience, expand your influence, and monetize your content. Join Phyllis and Kelvin for Podcast Sound Advice, starting now. Hi, welcome to Podcast Sound Advice. Today's guest is a dad, a husband, a volunteer, a super connector. We're going to ask about that. Uh, His day job title is VP of Business Development and Marketing at Morgan Franklin Consulting. He's a passionate Mets fan and a Nittany Lions fan. We'll we'll let that go. When he's not (laughs) working or spending time with his family, he is talking to Olympic athletes, business leaders, authors, and professionals in the coaching and pro sports world on the inspirational podcast, Everybody Pulls the Tarp. So that podcast started May of 2020. He's gone. He's basically in his about what one and a half year mark. Uh, 72 episodes have already published more, even more in the can. So we'd like to welcome to the podcast, Andrew Moses. Welcome. Thank you guys for having me. Great to, great to see you, Phyllis and Kelvin. Yeah. Great, great, to, great for you to be here. Yeah. We've been looking forward to this. First of all, before we dive into some podcast stuff, I have to ask you, Kelvin and I were flipping channels the other night and we yes, got we totally sucked in. Have you watched ESPN 30 for 30 about the Mets World Series? Well, I have not, but I have gotten oh. so many calls, texts, and emails <laughs> because, I mean, I, I you know, was, was you know, born and bred a Mets fan, and I will. And I'm, I'm deeply familiar with that 86 team. I've read so much on that 86 team. It's, on my, it's in my queue to, to stream this weekend, for uh, sure. How old were you in 86? I was born in September of 85. So <laughs> okay. I, I was, the story goes, I was, I was in my crib. My dad, who's a lifelong Mets fan since 1962, came in. As he tells me, I don't remember this. He came in <laughs> in game six and told me, uh, maybe next year, Andrew. And then, oh. Mo- and then Mookie Wilson hit the ball through Billy Buckner's legs and the rest is history. Right. Oh my God. That's uh, so awesome. That's anyway. Kelvin and I take a dinner break and most and, and likely a lot of evenings we go back to work for a couple of hours, depending on what we have going on. And that night was sort of the game plan. And then we started watching this and I'm like, and oh, my God, you know, we watched three episodes yeah, we watched, of it. So I'm like, we couldn't stop watching it. We was missed so good. the first one. We yeah. saw two, three and four. Yeah, which was which was great. Super exciting. Anyway, I had to ask you. So you'll have to let us know what you think. But obviously, you're going to love it. So born um, and bred a Mets fan. Yeah. A sufferer, a lifelong sufferer. Uh, yeah. Since 86, we've been waiting for another one. Yeah, that's true. You know what's great, too? Did you know Mookie had 10 pitches? He fouled, he fouled, off. fouled off like seven pitches in a row. It's just that whole thing is just the most like unlikely set of Bizarre. circumstances yes. ever. It's crazy. But it was yeah, exciting to rewatch was, it. So. It's an incredible at-bat. And and the, the couple things people don't realize about that at-bat is, well, one, Billy Buckner is was an you know a really good defender. I mean, you know, yeah. a really yeah. really good with the glove. And then the second thing and and Mookie says this. Mookie says he would have beat it out because it had some spin and and that's going to be something that that has been, you know, it's going to continue to be debated for for hundreds <laughs> of years. But Mookie says he would have had it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it is great. Um and I I do you have to feel for Buckner, right? Because he was a good player and had a good career, but you know, obviously he's remembered for that, you know, somewhat uh I guess infamously, right? Yeah, and he he passed away. He passed away a year or two ago, yeah. and uh, and and that was the sentiment that this was a guy who's going to be remembered for one 
for one moment, but was a, a fantastic ball player. Him and Mookie made a great business uh, partnership out of it. They signed a lot of they signed a lot of those pictures for a lot of money over the years. So it, it didn't work out all bad for Mr. Buckner. Right. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. All right. Well, so moving on. <laughs> um, uh, well, you know, you could you could almost say that the Mets, you know, everybody on that team pulled the tarp. So can you explain what your personal mantra you've said and uh, the title of your podcast, what everybody pulls the tarp means? Well, I, I think that's a, a great point, Kelvin. That team is full of tarp pullers, like I like to, to call them. And for me, you know, everybody pulls the tarp is a mantra and a mindset that I live by and I've kind of built my career around. And it's all based upon a philosophy that great teams and great organizations are powered by individuals who contribute in unexpected ways. People who don't say, that's not my job. People who go above and beyond the call of duty and, and contribute far outside the boundaries of a job description, right? They're willing to do whatever it takes to help the team, the community, the organization, whatever. And, it, and it's, it's a mantra that I've really lived by you know, since my first internship in college. Uh, like you mentioned, Phyllis, I went to Penn State. I was interested in the business of sports. I interned for a baseball agent. He recommended the next summer I get an internship on the team side, specifically in minor league baseball. So I show up on my first day working for the AA affiliate of the New York Yankees at the time. They're called the Trenton Thunder. And I think I'm going to show up there and learn the business of sports. Right. And on the first day, the, the general manager sits all the interns down in a conference room and says, it's great to have you all. Tomorrow, I want everybody to bring a pair of old clothes, dirty sneakers, and put them in the locker room. Because when it rains, we're going to need all of you to help pull the tarp. And everybody's, <laughs> and everybody's looking kind of like, you just chuckled, Phyllis, and we're looking, we're like, what is he talking about? We're here to learn the business of sports. And he explains that minor league teams have you know, the same size field, the same dirt, the same grass as their big league counterparts. The difference is they have much smaller grounds crews, much smaller budgets, and in the minor leagues, everybody has to help pull the tarp. Everybody from the CEO to the VP of marketing, to the new interns. And sure enough, they weren't lying. I, I would say 15, <laughs> 16 times that summer, we pulled the tarp on and off the field in the rain, in the wind. And um, as I went on in my career, and I didn't pursue a career in sports, but as my career went on, a few years, I, I started to kind of observe the people I like to work with. And I said, the people I like to work with are these tarp pullers, these people who are willing to do whatever it takes. They don't see anything as grunt work or beneath them. They're willing to do whatever it takes. Then I kind of advanced a little further in my career and I had the opportunity to start recruiting and hiring people on my team. And who was I drawn to? I was drawn to these people who were the tarp pullers. And that's the philosophy and story behind it all. And I'm always kind of intellectually curious and I have a passion for personal and professional development. And I, I said, what if I go on a journey to try and find these tarp pulling moments and these Secrets to success from people from all walks of life, and and that was that was kind of where the the everybody pulls the tarp podcast came from, and it's and it's a good one. Yeah, it really is good, and no <clears throat> small part, obviously, to your passion for the subject, which comes through loud and clear. But you also get really great guests on your podcast, and some of our um, other podcast clients and just people in general that talk to us all the time about podcasting. I think have difficulty with that sometimes and find it or are a little intimidated about that. So I'd love to ask you, like, what's your process for getting guests on the show? What's your, do you have any secret sauce there or how do you approach that? Well, the, the guests are obviously like a huge, a huge part of it. 
I mean, for me, it started with my network, right? I've been fortunate to build a pretty good network throughout the year. So, so I started there, but then, you know, one, one of the things I've told people is, I've mentioned this to other podcasters is, you know, one of the simple things you can do when you're done recording at the end, you know, you press stop and you maybe chit chat for a few minutes, ask that person if they have people in their network that they think would be a good fit for the show. I've gotten so many recommendations from people, from guests before we've even wrapped up. So that, that's a piece of it. And then I'm just on the hunt for, you know, interesting stories. I've been fortunate to have obviously a lot of public figures and, and relatively famous people mm-hmm. on, but I also try and uncover people whose story hasn't maybe been told and should be, and should be told. And whereas a lot of shows, you know, I've had plenty of head coaches, but I also like talking to assistant coaches. You know, I've had a lot of gold medalists, but I also, I also look for the people who might be the Olympic gold medalists at the next games or the next games. So I feel like I've had a good, a good mixture of kind of people who have quote unquote made it and, and others who are maybe making it or on the rise. And, and that kind of keeps it fresh. What would you say when you started your podcast, what, what would you, did you find the most surprising about doing it or the hardest thing about podcasting? I think the most surprising thing about it was, well, well a couple of things. One, I decided to start it. Uh, I started it purely video. A lot of people don't realize this, but the first few weeks were just video. And I kind of had this vision. I would just put up a bunch of videos and this would, this would work. And then, you know, people pointed me towards the idea of like a podcast. Well, hey, you, you know, distribute it in as many ways as you possibly can. Right. And I was also, you know, listening to a few podcasts at that point. And I said, oh, okay, let's, let's give this a try. And I was so surprised. I mean, almost immediately, the amount of traffic and download and activity I was getting on the, on the podcast apps was far and away better than whatever I was doing on the video. And it kind of opened my eyes and I started to do more research. And I realized for a variety of reasons that was going to be a good kind of primary focus for me initially was the audio, the podcast, and obviously getting synced up with you guys, you know, enabled me to do some things with the with the the production value and the and and the, w- the way we present the show um, that that we can't do in video. But you know, I, I just think you know I was surprised at how powerful audio only was going to be for a period. You know how how powerful it was. And then the most challenging piece I think is getting through that initial grind of you know I'll call it those first five or ten episodes because I didn't come at this with an audience. I didn't have I didn't start with a big Twitter following or a big Instagram following, and you put it out there and you work your tail off on it and you think it's a great show yeah. and then you get like very few downloads <laughs> and you're like, okay, okay. Like, and I got to do it again. And I think the most challenging thing for, for me and I, and probably for many is you have to kind of be, you know, accept that the first few, you know, the first few weeks you might only get, you know, your grandma and your, <laughs> your, you know, your, your great uncle and maybe a couple of friends who, you know, to listen. So to me, that was the biggest challenge. And, and I feel like if you're not persistent and you don't kind of have the intestinal fortitude to power on when you're not sure if anybody's listening, you might never get to that point where, the, where things start to, to move a little bit. And there's some stat that, you know, like 70% of the podcasts in the apps don't have more than five or 10 episodes. And that's probably why. I think it's something like most of them don't get past seven episodes, I believe. Yeah, so. that's right. That's Some right. of them have trouble even getting started. That's a topic for another day. But at least you did. You got started. Yes. You got your first one out there. You know what I mean? And you and you moved on. Some people have trouble just getting the first two or three recorded. Yeah. 
and, and everybody comes at this from a different place. And I appreciate what you shared. It's funny. I just talked to somebody earlier this week who has a podcast who's now, I think she's in year like four or five. And so obviously she's got hundreds of episodes and she's getting a, a very significant number of downloads. But she shared with me just this week that episode number one got 13 downloads you know, which was her mom and her sister and her <laughs> husband's, you know, family, whatever. Like she's like, you know, that's where this started. So I appreciate you reminding people of that as well, right? It, it is a little bit of a long game strategy, unless you already really, you know, if you were, you know, TikTok famous and you have a huge <laughs> following, then that might be a slightly different thing. That's not most yeah, of us. I mean, it's not a place, it's not a place where you're going to find like overnight success to me, unless you, unless you start famous or you, you get kind of an, un, you know, get, you get some wild break. Right. And for me, like I'm a kind of a routinized, like addictive personality. Fortunately, I only get myself addicted to good things. <laughs> I, I like to, I like to say, but I'm an addictive personality and I like, I'm a creature of habit. It's probably a better way to say mm -hmm. it. And that was why the weekly 30 minute format works really well for me was because I designed this in a way where I, I can never really take my foot off the gas. You know, I do the way I, I mean, I commit to this is, I mean, right now, this is what I do. I say 20 episodes, I take two weeks off from releasing episodes, but I'm still recording. I release 20 episodes, so that 20 weeks, then I take two weeks off. And I haven't since May of 2020 taken an unplanned week off. And, and that to me has been helpful. And I try and think about it through the lens of like life. Every week, all I'm trying to do is have a 30-minute conversation with an interesting person. I'm just putting a microphone in front of right. me. Right. Th th this is good for me to do anyway. Yeah, you're consistent. That's good. Yeah. So I have a couple of other questions that I want to go back to really quickly. You mentioned about uh, some of your first people that came onto the show were people that were in your network. And I know that you are, well a super connector and networker. So can you give people a couple of examples of, of how you've built your network and the way that you approach that? So networking has, is something I've been like so passionate about for many, many years. In college, I was fortunate enough to have a mentor who kind of showed me the ropes of how you build a network by being yourself and kind of bringing value to others, right? Mm -hmm. And another mentor told me this phrase I'll never forget. He said, you know, Andrew, the best way to succeed in business and really in life is to be a net giver. Don't go into interactions thinking about what you're going to get. Think about what you're going to give. If you give plenty, you're going to get enough back to kind of fill your own bucket. So for me, it's been, you know, I've always you know, built my network by getting involved in things. You know, when I was at Penn State, a friend and I started a charity event that gave us a platform to meet people in the community, meet some you know, local and national celebrities. It gave us like a calling card you know, that, college, that two college students probably wouldn't have had otherwise. And it helped us to build, build a network. And then I've tried to kind of take the same approach you know, throughout you know, kind of the, the beginnings of my career and even today is get myself involved in things I'm passionate about because then it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. And if I get myself into things that I'm, I'm passionate about, then I have that energy to kind of help others. So like another example, again, it's kind of tied to Penn State again. When I moved to DC, I said to myself, you know, I don't know anybody here. I moved here just about 13 years ago to the DC area from the Northeast, from New Jersey. And I said, okay, well, if I don't know anybody, like where am I going to start? I'm going to start with Penn State, something I know really well. So I reached out and I said, is there a business school alumni association in the DC area? And they said, no, but you could start it. Okay. So I started it. 
And that's a great way to call people because then you're not calling them to sell anything. You're not calling them to beg for anything. You're just calling them to say, hey, look, I'm putting something together that might be interesting for you. So again, I think I always kind of, and, and I've had a lot of other examples of like that through the years. And I always go back to the this philosophy of be a net giver and then pour yourself into things that don't feel like work because they're they're things you care about. Even hobbies, right? Like I try to be a pretty like public person. Like I, I, there's really not many secrets with me. And I find that the more the more that I share, right? Even if I'm on a Zoom call and there's you know autographed baseballs behind me or a or an autographed helmet, some or a book, some you know might, somebody might ask a question about, and it just creates conversation, creates reason for for connection. All of those things are which behind you right now, at least. That's right. Yeah. There's that. That's right. So, I, I think you got to hang. You kind of got to hang yourself out there a little bit, right? You gotta you gotta be out there. You gotta be willing to form connections, and then you gotta be willing to pull the tar for people, as I say. I agree. Yeah, I like that. And it obviously comes across, I think, you know, kind of feel like I've gotten to know you obviously from listening to your podcast, right? So we haven't had a lot. We've had a few conversations, you know, personal, I mean, you and I, but also people, that's one of the nice benefits, I think, of podcasting, right? People just really get to know you and they sort of feel like your listeners, I don't know, they, they do establish a connection. I think that's one of the reasons why the medium works so well. And especially for someone like you, who's really intentional about, you know, sort of giving and providing value for others. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. There's like something going back to your earlier question about like surprises. I mean, I have been so blown away by the connection that people have like with the show, with everybody pulls a tarp and with me having never met compared to video. And and I'm not sure what it is because maybe maybe because video like feels more like artificial and you're sitting in front of a computer screen or you're sitting in front of a TV and there are people that certainly watch the video of it a much much smaller portion like we've talked about but I'll get messages from people that said hey I took a walk with you this week right. or nice. I you know my you know husband and I each took a walk with you and then we talked about it or like I've I've had the chance to kind of connect with some listeners and do some different things and people say like. I feel People like I'm on the show. You, like, there's them, no... you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's you can do you can listen to podcasts in so many ways while you're doing other things. So, you know, yeah, it's it's intimate, right? Like, right. I mean, I hate to like, I hope like, I don't know if people are listening to me on the toilet or in the shower or in their car on the bus, you know, in their kitchen. I I don't know, but there's some uh, warmth, I think, from audio. There is, and, and I, to your point too, I think right, people are making it when they're making it part of their routine. Right. Then that sort of is part of our life. Right. It's like, oh, when I take a walk, I listen to Andrew or when I do, you know, whatever. So, yeah, it's it's incredible. Well, let, let me ask you this. If someone uh, is listening and is thinking about podcasting, what advice would you share with them? What's what's most important? If you're getting into podcasting, you have to be comfortable with the fact you, you have to be happy. You want to do it for listeners, but you have to be comfortable with the fact that you might be talking to yourself, <laughs> right? Like, I think that's a good way to, to a good way to get started. I said to myself, even if nobody listens, what is the worst that happens? I have a 30 minute conversation with somebody interesting, successful, and who might bring me a, a fresh perspective on something and help me that's grow. That's a good way to look at it. And yeah, and that's how I started to look at it. And, and that's how I looked at it out of the gates. I remember telling my wife, I don't know if anybody's going to listen, but you know what, at this point, it doesn't much matter to me because I'm learning. Excellent. We can get into kind of like if if you want, like how I prepare, because that's a question I get a lot also. But 
not preparing and then listening back to the show, because as you guys know, I listen back to all of my shows and, and write my show notes personally, because that's that kind of feels like at this point, a really important part of the process for me, because it allows me to kind of digest and synthesize the, the lessons and then bring it to the listener kind of in my own voice in that format. But it helps me clarify my thoughts like in a way that I've never experienced. I read a lot, a lot of personal and professional development books, but there's something about you know having a 30-minute conversation with somebody and then I think about it like all the time, you know, and, and I'll say, oh, that was interesting, you know, what they said, or let me like I should probably apply that to my life and see. So the advice I give to somebody is you just you have to be you have to be passionate about what you're getting on the getting behind the microphone and talking about. And I think out of the gates, you gotta be comfortable with the fact that, you know. There might be nobody listening. <laughs> yeah. So that reminds me of a, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Seth Godin. Sure. I'm um, not going to get this quote quite right, but in his latest book, the, I think called The Practice, pretty much the entire point of the book is that the work, like the creation of the art, whether it's a book or a piece of art or a podcast or a video or whatever, right? That's the journey, right? Again, if nobody listens, if nobody buys, if nobody participates, like the actual doing is is the thing. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the learning experience for mm-hmm. me, right? Like it adds structure to it adds like a a high degree of like routine and structure to my life which is really helpful and it guarantees me that I'm going to engage with with people in a unique way and it has certainly um I hope my listeners have learned a lot but I have learned a lot as well. Um and uh I feel like I'm going to I'm I'm never going to stop until I feel like I'm not learning and the listeners aren't learning. And so long as I feel like I'm learning and they're learning, like I'll be there every week. That's awesome. Well, so let's share with people who don't know Andrew yet or haven't listened to Everybody Pulls the Tarp. They're going to after this, I'm sure. But why don't we point them to a couple of the episodes that you have done that would give them a good sense of maybe a little bit about who you are and just an episode that you think would really resonate. Well, I mean, there's, there's so, there's there so many, uh, there's so many, there's so many to choose from. You know, one of the things that I really pride myself on with this show is keeping it diverse in terms of people and uh, walks of life and and what they do and thought. You know, and it's it's like you said earlier, it's everybody from Olympians, pro athletes, elite coaches, CEOs, best-selling authors, media personalities, men, women, different ages, different backgrounds, all kinds of folks. I mean, there there are. There are so many, but there there's a couple that like stand out. I mean, one one of the one of the episodes that has resonated so much with people is an, an, an interview I did with with a, a Michigan State basketball graduate assistant whose name is Manny Dosange, and Manny and I got connected because he he was a fan of Everybody Pulls the Tart, so he would like listen on the team bus. And Manny told me this story just just catching up one day as as friends. I said, how did you get a graduate assistantship with Michigan State, one of the best basketball programs in the country, and you didn't even go to Michigan State? And he said, well, I, you know, I, had, I knew a couple people. I was coaching high school basketball up in Canada, and I got to know some guys at Michigan State on the staff, and they told me, you know, practice you know, was always open if I wanted to come and observe and learn. So on my off days, I would drive four hours each way across the Canada-U.S. border to sit in the bleachers at Michigan State practice and watch them practice. And then when a spot opened up, Coach Izzo, one of the most legendary head coaches in sports history, said, who is that guy that drives four hours each way on his off days to watch us practice? I want him. And the story just kind of blew me away 
and um, it just blew the listeners away. And the feedback uh, on on Manny, what people took from it was, it didn't matter if you were if you liked basketball or you didn't like basketball or whatever you were doing. The feedback I got from people was it challenged people to think that if you want something bad, are you willing to drive eight hours on your off day for it? And if you're not, maybe you don't want it bad enough, <laughs> right? Or maybe you need to like rethink what you're willing to put <laughs> right. in something. And and that's I think a lesson that that resonated for everybody. And then the other one that really kind of struck with people was Samantha Harris. She hosted Dancing with the Stars for so many years, and she talked about this cog in the wheel mentality. So that she said, "I'm whether I was the host of America uh, of Entertainment Tonight or the host of Dancing with the Stars, I had this kind of recognition going into it that I was just a cog in the wheel. I was one piece of this really big equation of." of all kinds of people that were bringing this show and it didn't matter you know it didn't matter that I was the host if if other people didn't do their job well and if other people like if I didn't collaborate with other people well it wouldn't matter like the show wouldn't work and and that's a message that really resonated with people because you know somebody who's achieved that kind of stardom and success and celebrity to kind of think about all the other people around them that that make the show happen you know is you know was was powerful and then one more, just if you don't mind, I could share sure. one more. Tessa Virtue. So, so Tessa, uh, three-time Olympic gold medalist, figure skater. She's actually also all, uh, also uh, from Canada. And and Tessa, you know, talked about this. They won they won all these gold medals in the Pyeongchang Games, and she like beamed with pride talking about these fourteen people that were on the 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 kind of behind the scenes, right? Her and her ice dance partner Scott Moyer. They were the ones on the podium. But she said, Andrew, if one of these other 14 people, costume designers, performance psychologists, skating coaches, nutritionists, if one of these 14 people didn't do their job, it doesn't, like, we're not gold medalists. It doesn't work that way. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's been an, uh, a message and a story that, that, that resonates. But, I mean, I could go on all day. I, I, I have, like, I'm, you know, I, I love all their stories, and I think they really bring it each week. It's very cool that you have so many. It is. And we will... Definitely link to these episodes specifically in the show notes at soundoficestrategies.com. So for anybody who um, wants to just kind of check these out, those are all three great examples, but I agree with what Kelvin said. There's, you have a lot to choose from. They're all really interesting and. You should just listen to them all. That's my advice. That's right. Save here. Okay. So before we go, let's let people know how they can connect with you. So if people want to find you, connect with you, get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So, so the, the best way to find me is, uh, is obviously the podcast is in all the apps, yes. you know, Apple, Spotify, and everywhere you get the podcast. But then on social media, uh, I'm on Instagram at andrewmoses123. I also uh, write an email newsletter, which you can sign up for at everybodypullsthetarp.com slash newsletter. And, uh, and, and we can also connect on LinkedIn as well. But uh, yeah, you can find me the everywhere. Newsletter is great, by the way. I subscribe. So. Yeah, it really is. Thank yeah, you, it's very good. I enjoy it and look forward to it. And I can't say that about every email that I get. So I look forward to yours. You do a great job with it. Well, I appreciate it. And 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 I appreciate you guys having me on and all that you guys have done for the for the show. I mean, uh, the the advice and and counsel that that both of you have have given both in in kind of how how we produce the show and how to package it. It it's been it's been uh, you know, mighty helpful. Well, I'm well, glad you. to hear it. So thanks for joining us today. And again, we'll remind everybody, um, you can go to soundoficestrategies.com 
forward slash podcast. You'll find Andrew's information there. We will link to his show. Obviously, we'll link to those episodes that he specifically has mentioned and his social media and how you can find his website and all that good stuff. So if you haven't listened to his episodes and to his podcast, you want to add it to your add it to your queue, add it to your list and check him out. And thank you, Andrew, for being here. We've had a great time talking yeah. to you. And let us know what You're you great. think after you watch the 30. What's it called? 30 and 30? 30. What are you, 30 for 30? 30, 30 for 30, 30 yeah. 30 yeah. for 30. Definitely. I will definitely let you know. It's about the 86 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I, I can't wait to hear your feedback on that. And um, yeah, we'll be in touch. Thanks a bunch. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. That's our wrap for this episode. We hope you found today's sound advice helpful. Let us know what you think by leaving us a review. You can get more resources at podcastsoundadvice.com. Until next time. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.